Think of how David Platt opens up each sermon. He says, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, get them out. So I encourage you guys to get those out. Bring your Bibles to church with you. Uh, a lot of times, um, you know, as we've been defaulting towards our technology, and I mean, I love a good electronic Bible, don't get me wrong, and I think they even have a place in church. You can bring that, no problem. Uh, it's also just good to have a handle on uh, on the Word and have a handle on the book. You know, the old Puritans used to have a phrase, bring out the book, you know, bring out the book and just something about being able to understand where passages are and the divisions of the books and the really the whole story through the Bible, the story of redemption. Uh, We're talking this week in staff meeting about how we live in an era of biblical illiteracy and people just don't read their Bibles. Um, You know, as we're in Acts chapter two last week, saw the early church gave themselves to the apostles doctrine. And so I want to encourage you guys, let's be a church of the book and of the word and uh, we might know the living word, Jesus Christ, and uh, might even encourage you just to, uh, you know, maybe start memorizing where the books of the Bible are, if that's something new. Maybe this week you could learn the, the law, which is just the first five books of the Bible, right? Uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just take those five books this week. Don't, you don't have to memorize the books themselves, like, in the beginning, you know. Um, but, you know, just begin to learn. Okay, the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, uh, those five first books, that's just a great way to start the books of um, the law. So anyways, uh, still have the scriptures up on the screen, but maybe at least as we're in Acts, you would just have that book cracked open to Acts chapter 3, where we're at today. For the sake of time, we're not going to read uh, our passage. Um, we're going to get right into it, but we'll pray before we do. Lord, as we uh, come before your word and we hear this incredible account of um, the miracles that you were doing through the hands of the apostles, um, we see this, this great story and we can see ourselves there as people that are just as lame, just as crippled, just as in need, in need of the healing hand of God, whether that be physically whether that be emotionally, whether, whether that be in our psyche, in our mind, or whether that be um, in our soul, Lord, that we would need salvation and the healing that comes through forgiveness of sin, um, or even just in our bodies, Lord, infirmities and, and illnesses, Lord, we just ask that you'd have your way in us today and you would fix our eyes upon Jesus. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 3. Title of the sermon, Walking and Leaping and Praising God. We're at this early part of the church. We're in the early part of church history, what some have called the darling stage. You know, the darling stage of the church. When you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are seven letters written to the churches. And some have said that those letters represent a panoramic view of church history. You know, you definitely would hold that loosely, but I, I found that, you know, there's, there's some sense to it. And the first letter that goes to, out to a church, it's to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus means darling. And there's the early part of the church where, you know, they were still in that, just that romance stage. And yet Jesus says, man, you've got so many good things going for you, Ephesus. But one thing I have against you You've left your first love. 
And uh, really when we're reading the book of Acts, we see the church in her darling stage, still in first love, just a beautiful place uh, where the church is commissioned out by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, standing on the threshold of this great missionary adventure that's going to happen throughout this book. Uh, And Luke's going to describe it to us. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, we used to watch some of the good old movies with grandma, you know, she'd bust out the good old movies and we'd watch uh, Shirley Temple's movies. Anybody was a fan of Shirley Temple? What a cutie. I have to say, I've got a couple of beautiful little daughters and my little, my little Tatum, my little Tootsie Poots, you know, she's my Shirley Temple right now. And, uh, but do you remember Shirley Temple, you know, when she's on the good ship, lollipop? Pop, take a sweet. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a fun voice to do. I won't do it too. It could get annoying too. Like, all right, um, not sure what's up with the little girl sweetie voice you're doing, Dad. But you're gonna have to stop it. Uh, but John Stott called this time in church history the Good Ship Christ Church, the Good Ship Christ Church, and he said the Good Ship Christ Church was ready to catch the wind of the Spirit and to set sail on her voyage of spiritual conquest. But almost immediately, a perilous storm blew up, a storm of such ferocity that the church's very existence was threatened. The devil's cruelest weapon is violence. And the devil's going to unleash two great storms of violence upon the early church in the next chapter two chapters, uh, and they're going to come through the Jewish leadership of the Sanhedrin. All right. Now, as we get into chapter three, just going back into chapter two, verse 43, it says that many wonders and signs were done by the, uh, were done through the apostles. And as we move into chapter three, here is one of those signs, one of the wonders that's going to happen. So let's get into it. Uh, verse one. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Uh, Peter and John, the two amigos, often with James, when you read uh, kind of the core group of Jesus, the three amigos, you know, um, they would often be found together. They would be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Uh, James and Peter, rather, um, I'm sorry, Peter and John would be there on the Easter Sunday running to the empty tomb together. Um, You would see them here going to the temple at the hour of prayer and they would go up together. You know, the Lord this last week, as we saw in Acts 2.42, that the early church gave themselves assiduously to doctrine and to breaking of bread into fellowship and to prayer and to evangelism. We're really just stirred this week that we want to be a church that's also giving ourselves to those wonderful pillars of the faith. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys use that word assiduously much this week. It found its way into many of our conversations as we were going through the week. And, uh, and so maybe you last week were convicted that you desire to be more a part of the prayer meetings of the church and the prayer ministry of the church. Uh, and to mark your Google calendar that the first and third Saturdays of the month, we come down here to the fireside room at 6 p.m. and we pray and we intercede for our people, for our church, for the world, for unreached people groups. And, uh, and it says here that it was the hour of prayer that they were going there. It was a specific set aside time that 3 p.m. was after the sacrifice had already been done. They weren't a part of the sacrificial system anymore, recognizing that Jesus was the fulfillment of that type of sacrifice. 
Um, but they would come to pray somehow. They were still allowed in the temple. Uh, they would be for a little while anyways. And, uh, but notice they went up together. That's that word that Luke loves to use. He uses it the most in the New Testament, that being together, that fellowship. We laughed last week, two fellows in the same ship, right? You know, and there's something about going up to prayer together. As I was studying this, I was reminded at Calvary Corvallis, where I'm from, um, we used to have Saturday night prayer meeting every Saturday night. And uh, when my wife couldn't make it, we didn't have any kids at the time. Maybe Russell was born later on. Um, I would grab a friend and I would take him to prayer with me. Some of you might have met Ian who's been visiting the church or Johnny was one of those friends. We lived a block away from each other in Albany. And I'd just be like, man, I'm going to prayer. It's my job. I was going because I had to be there anyways. But as I went, I'd grab someone and I'd bring them with me. Some of the just great times of fellowship. We were on our way to the temple, just like Peter and John continuing that those relationships of old. So you might consider, uh, you know what, man, you know, sometimes it's a struggle to get to prayer on a Saturday night, but I'm going to make it like a a fellowship time. I'm going to make it a friend time. I'm going to begin to pick up some people. We're going, um, on the good ship. Okay. Well, we won't go there. Um, I could sing it, but I'm not going to, uh, but as they're on their way to the temple during the hour of prayer, verse two, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered uh, the temple. So this was a certain man. This was a notable man. This was a man that that people knew. Uh, Daily, he was set there by this gate, this entrance to the temple, and folks knew him. Just as we become familiar with the beggars in our cities that we live in, you might drive into the grocery outlet Bymart parking lot, and that's kind of the place in town, and you recognize those individuals, or if you're in Bend, you're at Costco, you know, you're in that western entrance, or you're over there going into the Best Buy parking lot, you know, and you just know, and you recognize these people, you know these people, you kind of get, you know, if you've given to them and gotten to speak into them a little bit, you maybe even have started to know, gotten to know them a little bit. And so here's a certain man, uh, a certain man that had a, been a congenital cripple. He had been a paralyzed or lame from birth, lame from his mother's womb. Acts chapter four, verse 22 says that the man was 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. You might've remembered just a few months ago, uh, you guys were so generous and sweet to me. I felt so loved. You guys threw a great 40th birthday party for me here. Um, great potluck, you know, I just got to say, I like half birthday parties too. So in just a little couple months, we have another big old shindig. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I just turned 40. I'm technically over the hill now, you know, and, uh, but, you know, thinking back, um, it's crazy how there's more space now in my life going back to my childhood and those memories that seemed so fresh. Now they're farther back. Now my memories are almost in technicolor, you know, and when you go back to those old pictures, they're the old grainy, you know, the old grainy Kodaks, you know, and the colors a little bit like they were still learning. They were still learning about colored photographs, you know, and all the cars and, you know, those station wagons with the back facing seat, you know, it's all that stuff, you know, and you're like that. I still feel pretty young, you know, uh, I shaved my beard off yesterday, you know, and, uh, I hadn't kissed my wife in three months. And I was like, it's time, um, (laughs) probably, you know, and, uh, and my daughter Lainey was like, how could you, dad? You look like a little boy now, you know? I'm like, Casey said, oh, our pastor's younger brother came to visit us today. Um, 
But, you know, uh, I still feel pretty young, but man, 40 years, such a, it's, it's getting there, you know? And um, I, I think of, man, could you imagine for 40 years, never having walked, just your entire life reliant upon people to carry you, uh, you know, whatever the situation was, you know, his family, it appeared, couldn't support him. Who knows what happened to his parents? Who knows? But for some reason, people were to carry him and they had to carry him to that most beneficial place of begging. They're at the religious institution where the pious would be considerate and compassionate and give those alms to the poor. And so for 40 years, and man, it just breaks my heart when you think about this little boy that was born and uh, at some point in the development process, you know, that just, you know, all the other kids his age were starting to crawl and starting to walk and something's not quite and you have that hope for that couple days and then you just see it's not improving and, and soon, you know, here's this boy that can't walk and he grows into a man and he's 40 years old and every day that source of income, perhaps, you know, parents taking him there, friends taking him there, uh, probably some sort of extortion happening, uh, happens often in the world where begging takes place. You go to Nepal, it's at the religious places that the beggars are. And, uh, and we've noticed and seen with our own eyes, if you give money to the nursing moms, uh, then their handlers will come and strip that money out of their hands and send them back out to keep begging. And so perhaps there's some extortion going on in this life. One preacher said, this guy, he's hopeless, he's helpless, he's useless, and he's just in a dire strait. And, and um, man, we're going to see just the Lord come and compassionately meet him there, meeting him there at the gate called beautiful. What a beautiful name for a gate, right? Makes you want to go visit there. November 2022, you guys, you can join us for our unvaccinated Israel trip. Huh? Doesn't that sound great? So if you're interested in Israel, we are taking a trip and we're starting to get some, uh, some, a great team put together. Uh, I have a picture for you guys of where the beautiful gate was located. Um, I don't believe these are the original um, gates since the Roman conquest and the tearing down, but uh, these gates were 75 feet tall, made out of Corinthian brass. Uh, they were more beautiful than the golden gates and the silver gates. The way that these things opened up, these double gates um, were one of the marvels of the ancient world along with the temple, 75 feet tall. I was just thinking like, how tall even is that? And I was like, maybe that's our steeple height outside, you know, I don't know. Uh, I had to Google it. How, what things are 75 feet tall? Four giraffes, four giraffes, right? You stack up four giraffes, which happens sometimes trying to load those things up in a trailer. Oh no, they're all on top of each other. 75 uh, feet tall, a beautiful place that one of the main entrances to the temple courts outside the court of the Gentiles. And here this man would be laying to beg. Uh, look at verse three, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms reminds me of Robin hood, the cartoon. And you know, when he's pretending to beg alms, alms for the poor, you know, you guys know it. And I uh, like all the kids are like, Shirley temple, <laughs> Robin hood. <laughs> They're sleeping when I'm talking about other stuff, but you mentioned movies and those kids, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, alms for the poor and, and asking for alms as he sees Peter and John probably recognizes the faces of these guys. These guys are always coming, they're often with you, you know, uh, recognizes, maybe, maybe they recognized him. And uh, 
fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So here we have that kind of awkward moment in um, beggary. That's probably not a word, you know, just, but you know, where there's the begging happening and then you're, you're driving, you're like, do I make on, eye contact? Do I give a, do I roll the window down and give? Do I no? you know, what do you, what, what do you do? And th- at the same time, they're like, do I make eye contact? I really need some help here, but I don't want to waste my time on this guy. I want to go to the next car, get, you know? And so there's this like fixing of the eyes moment, you know, this relationship is being formed at the moment. And then there's that, there's that speaking of look at us. And so, oh man, I've hit the, yes, someone's going to be giving to the cause here. They're speaking to me, you know, and the window rolls down and maybe the sign's like, oh, you know, I'm going to receive something of compassion here. I'm expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. Oh gosh. Then move along, pal. There's a whole line behind you. You know, silver and gold, I do not have. That might've been a little discouraging as you're begging. And then Peter throws that word, but in there, but what I do have, I give you. Oh, so he does, he does have something to give me. What is this thing? What is the stuff that he can give me that will help my immediate need? And you know, that's often what we think of as Christians. When we see the felt needs of our community and society around us, we often go to that silver and gold option. And there's a place for that and a need for that, especially Galatian tells us towards the household, those in the household of faith. But as we are generous and compassionate with the alms and with the giving, um, there's also something else. There's something more that we have. And daily, we ought to be in prayer and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as to what that is and when it is. Is right, right here, Peter speaks up and says, I don't have silver and gold. I got something else. And what I have, I'm going to give you. And then he goes on to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that is so much better than alms. That is so much better than gold and silver. That is something that, you know, the cults and every religion in the world know how to give the soup kitchen. They know how to give towards the poor, but there's an extra oomph and there's more power in giving Jesus. All right. There's true hope. There's true life. When we give Jesus, and often this is a quote that comes to my mouth, when there's someone out there in society that needs the ministry, I may not have the cash on me that I can give at the moment, uh, but I do have Jesus. And I'll often quote this passage, man, I don't have any cash on me right now, but I do have Jesus and I want to give him to you. And this is an opportunity to segue into sharing the gospel with the individual. And so what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk. I want you to just take your mind and remember quickly the story from the gospels of the demoniac. You know, the guy that was outside on the Eastern uh, shores of the sea of Galilee, who lived up in the caves and would torment the villagers with his screaming and they couldn't pass by his tombs and he'd he'd scare them off. He'd run them off. They tried to bind him with chains and he was naked and he'd throw himself into the fire and all of those things, the demoniac. And Jesus freed him from those demons. We found that there were 5,000 demons in him that were cast into the swine and those pigs ran off the cliff into the sea to drown. Uh, And it says of that demoniac after his encounter with Jesus that now 
he was seated and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. I always loved that description of the demoniac. Now that he'd found Jesus, he wasn't running around out of control. He was seated. He wasn't naked anymore. He was clothed and respectable. And he was of a sound mind and of a right mind and and able to go and evangelize to the town that he was from. And you have that encounter with the Lord. And today you have this encounter with the Lord where this guy was seated and he was clothed, but he's going to end up having a transformation that's very similar, uh, maybe in the opposite direction. And uh, silver and gold, I don't have, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up. And walk. There's a story perhaps true about a humble monk working with a Roman Catholic cardinal at the time of the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church was at its zenith of power, prestige, and wealth. And the cardinal pointed to the opulent surroundings and said to the monk, look, we no longer have to say silver and gold have I none. But the monk very thoughtfully said, but I'm afraid we're not going to be able to say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Sometimes we just get too comfortable and start to build up our kingdom here on the earth of just the wealth and the treasures. When the Lord desires us not to be a warehouse storing storing and hoarding his wealth, but we're to be distribution centers where we are giving out the, the resources to kingdom advancement. And here Peter does that. He says, I've got something to give to you I'm giving you Jesus of Nazareth. And so verse seven, he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so taking a cue from Jesus's ministry, Jesus was a very hands-on in his ministry approach. He would touch the leper who would be, you know, a hundred yards from anybody else his whole life shouting out, unclean, unclean, get away, leper coming through. And Jesus would go and he would touch the leper, or he would raise up Jairus's daughter and lift her up from the deathbed. And here, Peter, for some reason, Luke mentions with the right hand, you know, that he lifted this individual up, lifted this man up. And uh, Thomas Walker said, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. And uh, I think of some of those old songs from the early 2000s, you know, uh, you know, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me. Or another one might've been casting crowns, you know, and it said, uh, if we are the body, why aren't his hands reaching, you know? And so we get to be a part of this ministry today of reaching people, reaching out and touching and helping people and blessing people with the love of the gospel. And I love the phrase. It's an almost a Markian from the gospel of Mark. It's one of his favorite words, immediately, just that quick. The ankle bones and the, and the joints and the bones, they receive strength. You know, they had the vigor of a young man. They, you know, they had the, the strength of a, of a thousand calf extensions, you know, or whatever. And uh, just immediately that strength. For me, I kind of imagine like a snap, crackle, and a pop, you know, of just things coming together. And uh, I remember the Lord healed me once. I was at an elders retreat and I was super sick. And it was over at Applegate Christian Fellowship and we were up we each got like our own really neat little cabin. And I was, I was like, why did I even come on this trip? I'm so sick. I have this horrible cold. I had like COVID before it was COVID. You know, I just remember my lungs like, you know, and as I was there, I was like, Lord, oh, this is horrible. I can't sleep. And I just remember the Lord just impressing on me. Have you know anyone that could heal you? You know, I'm like, oh yeah. And so I don't like do this often, but I began to just pray for healing for myself and just 
worshiping the Lord in tongues. I don't do that all that often, but we're learning to like grow in our private prayer language should the Lord give it to us. And I just remember hearing like snapping and crackling and popping and like a clearing out of my lungs. It was just, and I'm like, I just remember I'm alone in this room and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're healing me right now. I feel that you're healing me. This is, and I was well uh, that night and that morning, the Lord healed me. And so perhaps there was a little snap, crackle, pop, you know, but it was all immediately ankle bones, uh, muscular. It's all healed up. And what does he do? So he, verse eight, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter and John went to pray. He met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Embrace the awkwardness. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Oh, good, it's over. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, so anybody flash back to Sunday school as a kid? Yeah, man, one of my favorite songs as a kid. And I uh, think you guys, that was better. First service, they were dead. They were like, not going to do it? No, I mean, uh-uh. All right, so what a great little song to, to teach our children of this story, and it will stick with them. Uh, man, how incredible to uh, just serve the God that heals, you know? Uh, I know that, um, man, we, we just be so careful with ministries out there that are health and wealth and prosperity and are perhaps um, misusing certain ministry platforms for such a thing, but man, I just, I've seen with my eyes, the Lord is a healer. And the interesting thing with the gifts of healings that you see in the scripture, the tense is different. When you study first Corinthians 12, when you're reading the lists of spiritual gifts, it speaks of gifts of healings. And many, and it's our understanding at Calvary that the gift of healings isn't something that just a person kind of has carte de blanche, just like, I'm a healer, you know, and just goes around and, you know, um, I think if that were the case, like there would be no illness anymore. Um, but we do see that special times the Lord uses people as they step out in faith to pray for healing. And that, you know, ours isn't to, as you know, the old soldiers would say, ours isn't to reason why but to just do it. And we just step out and we pray for people that are sick and always in the back of our heart and in our prayers as Christians is your will be done. You don't even have to say it. We just know the Lord's will be done. If the Lord desires, no, I'm doing something else in this person and for my glory. And it's not a healing today, then praise the Lord. Amen. But that's, that's up to the Lord. He just calls us to, to bring the sick and to anoint with oil and to pray over them. And how wonderful when we step out in faith and really put ourselves out there as the Lord is leading, how faithful he is uh, to, to move like that. I was just reminded of, and, and when we're in Acts 14, we'll read a very similar healing account, but it will be with Paul. And I'm re- I was reminded of this Nepali young man named Seating that I met a few years ago in Nepal. So here's Seating. And uh, this was a a year that we had fasted and prayed right before we went to Nepal. And I really felt the Lord saying, just be ready to be praying that the Lord would move with some miracles 
that I could use those miracles as a as an opportunity to testify of Jesus. And so we'd been fasting and been praying and uh, the Lord kind of spoken that through people as we had fasted that year. And we went to, in Kathmandu, there's a place called um, Pashpati and it is the Hindu holy site. Uh, and then there's the Buddhist holy site called the Boda as well. And, and you have a lot of beggars in those holy sites. And as we went to the Boda and we just were learning about Buddhism um, and there was a, a beggar there that, broke my heart. I've never seen anything like it. Um, basically his like feet were like put on backwards, you know, and he's just scraping himself across the ground, uh, there at this holy site. And he had, um, like a pair of like Nike slide type shoes, the older, you know, and he had them on his feet, on his hands. And he was using those shoes to just scooch himself around to beg. And as we're going around and just people are doing all their religious cultism, you know, I just felt like the Lord was like, step out in faith, pray for this guy to be healed. And I was, I was just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, I don't know what would happen. Like, I don't want to, he might not get healed. He uh, might, it might cause a riot. I don't know. Or I was, I was a chicken and I was scared. I didn't do it. Good story, huh? You're like, well, you know, and so the next day we got on our bus, we drove 10 hours up into the mountains and uh, we go to kind of like our normal hotel that is our hub that we trek out of. And as we're there at this hotel, um, we're eating our dinner, we're getting served. And this young guy is serving us. He works there for the hotel and he has just a major uh, limp. And I know there's a condition. I can never remember what it's called. You know, people in the States have it, you know, but they're just major limp and he's serving us and you just feel bad. You know, he's working for us and, and, uh, just felt like the Lord impressed on my heart, like to pray for this guy for healing. And so I went up to my bedroom that night and all night long, just, just tossing and turning, just thinking like, man, um, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to pray for this guy to be healed. And after we ate our breakfast, I just kind of popped my head in the kitchen and asked, I thought it was his parents. And I just said, Hey, is, is it okay if I, um, talk to him and pull him out, out here for a minute? And they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. And I pull him out there and, uh, it was like talking to a middle schooler who is either doesn't know what's going on or is a little too cool for school and doesn't know what to think. And so just kind of like, Hey, weirdo, you know? And, uh, but I was just like, Hey, um, I noticed like you have this limp, you know, and how bad, like how long have you had this limp? And he says, uh, well, from birth, I actually asked his employers, I like, how long has he walked like this? Oh, as long as we've known him. Um, and he said, yeah, I was born this way. I walked this way. And, and I just said, I, um, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and he is the God who made you and loves you. And he is a God who heals. And I've seen him heal my dad when he had cancer. And I was wondering if it'd be okay if I prayed for you that Jesus would heal your leg, you know, and like one of those middle schoolers, you know, no offense, middle schoolers, but I think we all know who we're talking about here, right? Not you, Willem, not in any way, shape or form. Yeah. It was totally like Willem. Um, and uh, so he's like, okay, so I pull a chair up and I just just grabbed his leg and just prayed for his leg and uh, prayed that Jesus would heal this leg and said, amen. And, and he was just kind of like, you know, a little more wide eyed. And this is all through a translator, by the way. And so then I said, um, so did you feel anything happen or was there anything different? And he said, yeah, I felt like a warmth and a tingling in my leg and something is happening. And I said, okay, well, you want to stand up? And so he stood up and he kind of bounced on his heels and like, okay, um, does that feel different? Yeah, it feels different. Okay. Well, do you want to walk, walk to the other side of the room? And he 
walks to the other side of the room, like just totally well and comes back. And I, you know, but it was just hilarious because I'm like, where's the walking and leaping and praising God? Like, I want this guy to be like, oh, you know, and it was still like, like, I kind of got to get back to work. Um, so, you know, but I was just like, so like, is it different? And, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, I've never had this, you know, before. And, and I was like, well, you just need to know that it was Jesus who healed you and he wants you to live for him and love him. And then he went back to work, you know, and then uh, like the next year we went back there and I don't remember even what year this was, if Courtney, if you remember much of this, but, um, but, you know, pretend like that didn't happen. Uh, and so, you know, he's serving our group and I'm kind of like, and I just wanted water, but he wasn't, you know, and, uh, but he's walking normally, you know, and, uh, and so I kind of pulled him aside and I was like, Hey. Uh, remember me? He's like, oh yeah, I remember you. No, uh, he said, like, your leg, it looks like it's still working. You know, he's like, yeah, it works. And, and I pulled out from the back and we can show uh, a picture of the employers. I thought that they were, there's parents, but our translator said, man, he's got a good job. And it's not like customary to just like leave your job and go visit. Like he's like feeling the pressure to be working for this job. And, uh, and I asked, talked to them and I was like, so what happened? They're like, yeah, after, after you guys were here and you talked to him about Jesus, he was healed, you know? And so I was like, well, can we get a group picture? And they were like, yeah, you know, and then Cedric's like, hey, this is good, you know? Um, but you know, what's an interesting thing is we live in a culture in America and the United States that we don't want for much. Like we don't need much. Even when we're ill, we're kind of like, we go to the doctor before we even get prayer. We get on our medications, you know, or we, we just live a life of comfort. When you go to the other nations, it's a common thing in the missionary cultures to, to know that there is such a desperation that it, that Jesus is my only hope. And so when you go to Nepal, something that you see, and you just be praying for our Nepal trip coming up in about a month. Um, just be praying because the Nepalese down where they've been hearing about Jesus, they know that Jesus heals. Like they're interested in Jesus healing them, but it's a difficult thing to take that step out of a cultural family heritage of Buddhism or Hinduism to be a follower of Jesus. So be praying as a church uh, regarding those things. They know there's a spiritual realm. Whole villages will witness demonic stuff happen right in front of them. There's no doubt to them that the spiritual happens. Um, probably it was one of our first trips to Nepal that we dropped what we called the city team off in a town called Bedur. And, um, and they just ministered to a town. They didn't do any trekking. And some people invited the team over to pray for uh, a blind lady. And so they prayed for this blind lady and then they just left. And a year later we came and we dropped that same, you know, some of those people were the same people, Kenny Box, Shannon Newell, Pam Woody. Uh, we dropped them off, Nate Wales, I think, uh, drop them off. And as they're going through the town, a woman comes up to Kenny Box and says, hey, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I recognized your voice that a year ago you prayed for me that I would be able to see. And I see now, and I'm a follower of Jesus now. We have a picture of her because the next year I went and spoke at a church in Badur and she stood up and told the whole church that she once was blind but now she sees, and now she's an active member of this church, a follower of Jesus there in Badur. So we give all the glory to God. I hope you don't even see myself or anybody else in the stories 
It's just that Jesus is the God who heals. Does he do it every single time? No. Is it just carte de blanche? No. Paul was ill many times. Timothy was ill. The apostles were ill. They died. They ended up dying. I don't know if you know that, right? Um, But the Lord would use them many times to be just to bring the gifts of the spirit and, and they would be signs that would point towards knowing Jesus and being saved in the gospel. So, uh, how incredible that, you know, there's someone, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, nobody can argue with the power of a changed life, you know, and just so cool, you know, to especially see this lady stand up with just the biggest smile and be able to talk about, you know, I was at the gate and I was lame but now I'm walking and I'm leaping and I'm praising God. And so um, this is an incredible miracle that happens in Acts chapter three. It's something that is a notable miracle as you look at Acts four sixteen, because uh, this story continues. They're gonna be persecuted um, for what happened this day. And the story continues and it. And it says, what are we supposed to do to these men for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. And I think that um, something that we need to be able to be real and open about is when we do see healings and things, we gotta be able to be like, test it. Like, it's okay, I got nothing to hide. Like, you look it up, you get the doctor's note, you, you know, that's okay. Like, we don't need to prove anything except that if we're claiming for miracles, we got to be able to just be like, hey, like, you feel free to scrutinize it and see if it's real. And if it is, you're going to be a believer in Jesus. We got to be okay with that. And something with the signs and wonders movement is there's not quite that transparency. And there's been a history of abuses to where, you know, the charlatans are out there, no doubt, right? And so we want to be able to be like, hey, whatever happens, we want to just point you to Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so uh, we're going to wrap up here, but I just want you to get a sense before Peter addresses and, and seizes the opportunity to share Jesus here, that God's glory was safe with Peter and John. They didn't use this as their opportunity to make some big bucks and a fortune and start, you know, just this mega church there in Jerusalem. Uh, he wanted to make sure to give glory where glory is due. You're familiar with I'm the rubber, you're the glue, whatever you say bounces off me, sticks to you. Well, in the case of Christians, we're mirrors and whatever you say, we don't want it to land on us. We want it to reflect the glory to the Lord. Uh, we want to make sure that his glory is safe with us. And, uh, and so what happened in Acts 3.11 now is the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So funny, he was walking and leaping and praising God, but still like, I don't know if he was just like so stoked to have these new friends. And so he's clinging to them. Or as John Stott said, he was cured, but still clinging to them and not yet confident, you know, still learning how to use those new ankle bones with strength, you know, that he has. And so uh, there they go. We'll see next week about Solomon's porch and where that is in the temple. Uh, But we're not going to focus on that really. We're going to just move on. When Peter saw all these people rushing and coming, he responded to the people and said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? 
And so he just reflects any praise or glory back to the Lord. And, you know, we're going to see next week, why are you surprised that the Lord heals? You guys are children of Abraham. You ought to know that God's a God of miracles. He does those things. But primarily right now, um, don't be looking at us as like, oh, I'm such a religious and pious man, and you should follow me, and follow me on Instagram too, you know. And uh, yes, you know, when I went to the school of miracles, I learned how to do this, that, and the other, and bibbidi bobbidi boo and everyone just, you know, is like, no, like, why are you looking at us as if it's something of ourselves? There's nothing about ourselves that causes, and we're talking, it was Jesus who did this work. It was Jesus uh, who healed. And so he made this great effort to say, let all the glory be to God. And uh, we're going to see this in Acts 14 when the similar miracle happens and everyone from the city is going to say, oh my goodness, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, or it's actually Barnabas at the time, Paul and Barnabas, you guys are gods who have come down, like Zeus and Hermes, I think, uh, and you've come down and healed and the gods have come among us. And then they bring garlands and put them over Paul and Barnabas's neck and they bring out the oxen to slaughter to these new gods that showed up to town. And Paul's like, what? No, 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 no. And they stop them. And it says they could scarcely refrain them from sacrificing to them. And he said, no, no, no. We are men with natures just like yours. And then they would just point follow Jesus, worship Jesus. And really all created things ought to do that. You know, the angels in Revelation, they give John the Revelator a great image of what's happening in the future. And John is so overwhelmed. What does he do? He falls down and he starts worshiping the angel. And the angel, he remembers another angel that wanted to be worshiped a while back, a dude named Lucifer, you know, and those 30 or the third of the angels that went with Lucifer. And this angel's like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. No, don't worship. And like, right when John's on the ground, Jesus looked over and the angel's like, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> Jesus is like, um, it says, get up, get up. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a servant of the Lord. And we want to give all the glory to the Lord. And so as we have the worship team come back up, uh, I'm reminded a little bit of, uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon and at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. If you guys are looking for something to do on a Sunday afternoon on the Lord's Day, man, Amazon Prime has some incredible Christian biographies that you can watch. Charles Spurgeon, David Brainerd, Luther, all these incredible ones. But uh, Spurgeon used to preach at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, and you would go up this huge staircase to where the pulpit was way up high so that everyone could hear him. And uh, one day he was coming back down the staircase, and a lady met him before he even got to the end, and she said, I just have to tell you, that was like the best sermon I've ever preached, and I had to be the first one to tell you that. And he said... Oh, you're too late. Satan already told me, you know, and uh, he's like, yeah, because Satan wants us to get all puffed up and just how awesome we are. We are just something special. And so we want to be quick to, as Billy Graham said, hey, don't touch the women, the money or the glory in the church. The gals are the glory or the gold, right? Uh, we want to give all the glory uh, to the Lord. And so we can set our things aside. And as we're closing next week, can't wait. We're going to hear Peter utilize this opportunity to preach the gospel to the crowd. But as we close, we're just going to give a place for healing today. We believe that he is the God who heals. And as James says, if anyone among you is sick, 
Let him come to the elders of the church and let there be an anointing with oil. Certainly you don't have to be an elder to pray for healing around here. Um, I believe that anyone can have that um, ministry. But maybe today you find yourself here and you find yourself hurting. You've got a wound. You've got um, a medical issue or condition. And we just want to give place as we remember the Lord who heals uh, we want to pray for you if that's you. We're going to have the elders come up and just be available for prayer. Um, man, how real uh, infirmities are, huh? How real painful things are. And lots of people in our body lately have been in the hospital and um, it's just, it's real to be hurting. And if you need prayer, come forward. But maybe you need healing that's, uh, it goes beyond just a mere flesh wound, you know? Maybe you have stuff going on and it is so deep and it is inside you and it's ripping you up and you just need the peace of the Lord that passes understanding. Maybe you need some, just that mental psyche to be touched by the Lord. Maybe you need just your heart and wounds of the past to be healed and uh, just equally as painful. And maybe you're like the demoniac who man, you just, you were out of control and you need the Lord to bring you to a place where you are seated and clothed and in your right mind. You just need self-control. You need the Lord to just heal you and bring just the, the grace of restoration to you. Or maybe you're like this uh, paralyzed man in Acts 3 and you know, you are almost immobile. You're unhealthy. You're in a place of bankruptcy. And you just need prayer over you. We'll pray for those things as well. And just sense the compassionate heart of the Lord here today. Before we go, I'm going to have uh, the elders pray for me. I don't know, a couple weeks ago I did something and I don't know if it's a rib or what. I feel like my ribs just like messed up right now and it really hurts. I'll bend over to, and it's like, oh, it's just super bad. And so I'm going to pray or have you guys pray for me too. And if somebody comes up and asks for prayer, maybe you know them or you just want to stand with them and encourage them. Uh, once you come up and just come and you can set your hand on them and pray for them as well. So during this last song, just give a place for the Lord uh, to move and to do a work of healing uh, of our bodies, of our hearts, of our minds. And we just give this time to you, Lord. We just pray you'd meet us here. And if it be your will, that there would be gifts of healings given today where you would receive all the glory and be like the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, went and visited many doctors and the doctors just couldn't help her. She spent all of her money to try to get um, the issue resolved and she saw Jesus and she knew if I can just get through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Maybe today you would have that kind of faith. You could just push through the crowd and come to Jesus. We'll touch the hem of his garment with you. I love that story because then Jesus looks around and he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, you're surrounded by a thousand people. And you ask who touched you? And Jesus says, I felt power go forth from me. And just today, Lord, we pray that you would send out your power to touch and heal and deliver and bring freedom and, uh, and just, just know, Lord, we'd want your glory to be safe here in this place. So elders, come on up. Uh, 
and uh, who we call the elder candidates. If you're here, you can come on up and be up here to pray with us. Guys that we're raising up on the elder team and just here for prayer, you guys come up as you would like during this last song.